Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. And now we're going to jump in this word. This is Real Talk uh, Part 1. We're going we're gonna to go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Anybody love the word of God? We, we believe that in church, and uh, if, if you're new to our church, we really believe that church should be a uh, participation sport, not a spectator sport. And uh, so we encourage you just to participate with us and uh, to, to really take this journey with us uh, as we look at this. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read to you from the message translation. The message is a paraphrase translation. It's not an actual translation. It's a paraphrase translation. And it really gives us a lot of context uh, or deeper meaning uh, behind verses maybe that you already know. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, don't pick on people. We can start right there. You know, that's, that, that might be enough. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. The critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and, it's, and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Silent. Uh, do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. We could dismiss right now and I'll feel a little worse about our relationships, but the, the message translation is Matthew chapter seven comes in the NIV. It says, don't judge or you will also be judged. This context is about relationships, how we treat one another and specifically in the area of judgment, how we judge one another. And I love the way that the message translation says it. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. And, and really with relationships, we want to talk about equilibrium. Equilibrium means a state in which opposing forces or influences are balanced. Now, this is the goal for our relationships, is that opposing forces would be balanced and we would attain equilibrium in our own life. Now, I think many of us, when we think of relationships, we want nirvana. Nirvana is a state of perfect happiness. Wouldn't that be nice? That would just be amazing if that was just like, man, if we could just reach that place in all our relationships. This is why we'll never reach that place. Nirvana is an actual place. It's a location. It's a destination. That's not what a relationship is. A relationship is a journey. Equilibrium is a constant balancing of opposing or different forces and bringing balance in your life. My, my, my boys, they like to come into my office, and the first thing they want to do is get in my twirly chair, which is my office chair, and uh, they want to be spun as fast as I can spin them. And uh, so I'll grab the chair, and I'll start spinning them, spinning them, and, and they don't want to just like a small spin. They want to like spin until they can't walk. That's, that's the goal. And so they will jump out and test it like, am I dizzy, Dad? And they'll fall over. And, 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 and so we'll do this over and over again. One time I was doing it, Genesis wasn't holding on tight. And so I spin as tight as I could and just <laughs> out he goes. I'm like, yeah, he is our tough child. And so he bounced back up and said, Dad, look, I'm dizzy. Like, I hope it's from spinning and not from just what just happened as you flew out of the chair. Uh, but equal, they lost their equilibrium, and it gave it, it uh, really enabled them, or maybe disabled them. Took away their ability to walk correctly, 
And I think when we look at relationships, many of us are dizzied. We have lost our equilibrium and we just try to manage crisis 24 seven. And we don't have, we have never really reached a place of equilibrium in the relationships in our own life. And that's what we want to talk about today. I think in so many areas that we really do, the church included, we have relationship breakdowns. And I don't know if you've ever broken down in your car. I have multiple times, mostly because of running out of gas, but <laughs> a lot. Um, but we do have, when you break down, you're, you're, you're in trouble, right? And a lot of us probably find ourselves in different areas broken down. Maybe it's family, coworkers, spouses, friendships. In general, relationships cause the most pain in our life. And so as we talk about it, as we dive into this series, we're aware that there's a lot of pain associated with this. So although we'll laugh and we'll tell stories, we do know that you have probably, if you're over 12 in here, you've been through some real relationship pain. We wanna to speak to that pain, we have been hurt by relationships. We have hurt people in relationships. But I believe that God's word gives us really redemptive answers that we can head into relationships from this day forward and we can be in peace in them. We can have peace in them. We can, have, we can find that equilibrium. You know, but the question is, what happened? Like, why is it so hard for all of us, right? And back in the day, in Genesis 2, everything was fine. And then you hit Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, and relationships started breaking down there. God is a highly relational God. We know this. He is God, the Father, and the Son, all together, right? He's in his own relationships. He's in relationships with us, and he wants one with us. When the fall happened, relationships started to deteriorate. Because relationships are so important to God, it makes sense that the enemy doesn't want us friends, right? He doesn't want us good. Um, because God is so relational, and he, because of that, he uses people in relationships, right, to do his work, mostly in very positive ways. But the problem is we come to God and we say, God, you're perfect, you're amazing, you're loving, you, you, you're such a good, good part of my life. So we come to God for God and Jesus, right, and he gives us to each other, right? But we're all broken down people in areas. And so we have pain, we have hurt, and so we act out on those things, we project those things. And don't you wish that you could just pray for an angel, right? To come and, and float across your room at night and just sprinkle you, sprinkle me with patience dust, right? Love dust, forgiveness dust, that I never have to actually work out forgiveness, that I never actually have to try and be patient if only there was an angel that could do the job. But because God is a relational God and he uses relationships as his mode of operation in the world, he says, Jamie, you should marry Dustin, <laughs> right? And then I get to work on loving, patience, kindness, seeing the best, good perspectives. When we get it figured out, he's like, you guys should have kids, right? And there it starts again because he uses relationships to bless us, to help us, and, but very much as his mode of operation in the world. You know, when you become a Christian, you, get into, you, you enter a family. God, we're family. In God's eyes, in God's world, this is family. And who knows families fight, right? <laughs> families fight sometimes, but that doesn't mean that we are not family and that we're not committed to loving each other. Um, everything, it seems at times, everything is a bigger priority to Christians than loving each other. Um, we prioritize our denominations, our theology, our doctrines. Um, we, you know, I think 
you should sleep train children, you think that you should co-sleep with children, so-and-so does this health choice, so-and-so does this. We've seen churches split over like sleep training their children. You know, I, I agree with Dame, Dave Ramsey, finance is right. And so we, we've major in, in the Christian community and all of these minors, when God had one plan from the beginning and where there was one problem in the beginning, lack of love, a breakdown of love, and one thing will fix it, loving each other. But we get so caught up on these minors, right? Politics, right? Like we get so caught up on these things when God says some very specific things about this family we're a part of. And I'm gonna read a couple of them to you before we go on. John 17, 21, this is Jesus talking. He says, I have given them, talking about us, I've given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one in them and you and me so that they may be brought into complete unity. Jesus's heart is that we be brought into complete unity, that we are one. And in this passage, that's what glory is. Glory isn't power, it's us being nice to each other on Facebook, right? That's what Jesus wants. Jesus, we need shirts. Jesus wants you to be nice on Facebook. Um, 1 John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister, this is my least favorite verse in the Bible, y'all. This is rough. This, is, this hurts real good. Whoever claims to love God, I claim, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. A liar, liar, pants and fire, as my toddlers would say. We cannot say we're Christians. We cannot say we love God and hate on each other. Be unkind to each other. Bash each other. Gossip about each other. I know there's going to be conflict. There's conflict in my family. But I'll tell you what. I could make my sisters as mad as can be. They'll never talk about me to you. Because we're family, right? We work it out. So it doesn't mean that we're conflict free. It just means that we're committed to love, getting along, and unity. Um, I, someone, I heard someone say one time, the evidence that you were born again is that you get along with people. It's not operating in power on the streets. It's not being able to pray over people and have them weep. It's not, the, an evidence of being a Christian is that you get along with people, that you're kind. The gifts of the Spirit is one of those things that we major on, but they look real bad unless they're resting on the fruits of the Spirit, right? Which is love and kindness and patience and all of these different things. Um, in closing on this, 1 John 4 um, says, by this, this is again Jesus, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. They'll know that you're mine if you love each other. And so we want to give a call to love, to unity, to familyship. I don't think that's a word, but I make up words up here a lot. <laughs> and see what, we, what God can do with our relationships. We kick against it because we have pain right? And pain teaches us. We get wounded and it teaches us to stay away from each other, put up walls, be at a distance. And I don't want to live my life at a distance from God or you. But the, 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 um, the temptation is there because the enemy doesn't want us together, but God does. And we're believing for a lot of breakthroughs in that this I think series. That, I think that biblically, uh, the, the Bible gives us very clear instructions in how to live with one another. And it, it, it's, it's interesting to me that we like to major on the things that like the Bible doesn't say much about. Uh, and, and then we like to like totally leave alone the things that God is like crystal clear on. Like the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart and your love your who? Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. That one's like pretty crystal clear. 
and we, we want to like kind of like pass that one over, and then we want to talk about some obscure passage, passage and argue for 36 hours about who's right on it. And, and really, at the end of the day, he's really clear on the stuff that he wants us to be clear on, just is love one another. Everything that we do in our life is connected to relationship. Your next promotion is connected to relationship. Your marriage is connected to relationship. Your legacy is connected to relationship. Everything that you're doing in your life right now is connected somehow through relationship. It's interesting in this text, in, in Matthew, it says, in the message translation, it says a couple of things. It says, don't pick on people, right? It's like, why do we pick on people? I, I think the, the, the reason that we pick on people is because we're really bad at confrontation. And if, we, if something bugs me about you and I can't have the guts to confront you about it, I'll just pick at you to make myself feel better or to try to get, get, give you the hint. I'll just pick, 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 pick to try to get you the, the idea that what you're doing is really bugging me, but I don't have the love to actually confront. It says don't jump on their failures. Did you know that we live through this lens uh, and this ability to see other people's failures clearer than our own? And maybe we'll never say this and we would never vocalize this, but deep down, it feels good when people, other people fail. And this is what the scripture is saying. It said, don't jump on other people's failures. Don't jump on, on when other people make mistakes. It says, don't criticize their faults. You, you know what I've found is that when people criticize me, my first reaction is to criticize the criticizer. Right. I remember right when I took over the church years ago and uh, I, I went to Pastor Steve and, and there were some people that had criticized me and, and they had said some things. And I'm like, Pastor, can you believe this? Pastor, you probably remember this. And I'm like, can you can you believe this? These guys are talking about me like this. I mean, who are these guys? And I start picking apart their life like, well, they did it and he did. not And Pastor Steve's just like, oh, you know, he knows like, oh, boy. And he's like, Dustin, he said. There is truth in every criticism. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Like, that's not true. He's like, no, that's not true, but you can find truth in it. The tendency for us in relationships is to criticize other people's failures or imperfections, to turn towards them, to turn against them. And then if they criticize us, we're going to criticize why they shouldn't be criticizing us instead of being able to focus on the ways that we could change on the ways that we could develop, on the things that we could actually change in our life. Our focus is almost perpetually on other people. This is the perspective that we see relationships through, is I never, I never really talk about like how good of a dad I am. I talk about how bad of a parent someone else is. I never talk about how bad of a, how, am, I, am I being a good husband? I talk about, do I have a good wife? I never talk about, am I good in, a good employee? I talk about, do I have a good boss? Because we are trained from an early age to look at everyone else's life except for our own. And this is what Matthew 7 is saying. In the NIV, it says, you cannot take, you can, you cannot take a speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own. The only power that you have, the only person that you have the power to change is you. It's the only person that we have power over to actually change. Well, how am I going to have equilibrium in my relationships? You have to start by changing you. The scripture in Matthew is specifically telling us to deal with ourselves first 
or we can't see clearly to help anyone else. I want you to just think about this picture. He says, when you're trying to take a speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye and you have a plank, the King James Version says you have a log in your own. Can you just picture that? You know, like trying to like, I'm going to help you. This is what most marriages are, right? Like the plank, trying to like, let me get that speck of sawdust out of your eye. When the Bible says, make sure you take care of that thing. And then maybe, possibly, you could see clearly to help someone else. Pastor Steve said uh, in, our, in our conversation, he said, Dustin, I have learned to give much grace because I need much grace. You know, I think this is so clear all throughout scripture is that we've got to be merciful people. That, that we need to give grace. You never know when you're going to be the one in the pit. So it's better to just take a posture of grace and say, you know what, I don't know why you did what you did, but I'm going to have grace for you in doing it because I never know when I'm going to do something or say something. I give much grace because I need much grace. The Bible gives us very clear insight and wisdom in how to deal with relationships. So I, I want to I take us to another passage in the message, Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read it to you, and then we're going to pull out a couple key thoughts from this. Verse 1, it says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, it's Paul writing while he's in prison. He says, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out of there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and with discipline. Not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. So first, I want to look at this. Pour yourself out for each other in acts of love. I think when it comes to this verse, there, it could be read as just do more for every, serve people more, do more, more hospital visits, more food, more talking, more this and that, more, you know, and a lot of you probably feel that pressure sometimes. The context of this verse is not do more stuff for people. The real context here is humility. Right. It's the heart with which we do things. And the NIV says, be completely Humble is how they translate it. As you pour yourself out in love, as you do these things, humility is the key. Um, we don't talk about humility a lot because it doesn't feel good to be humbled, right? I'd rather set through a message on the overcoming power of Jesus and the blood and what it did for me and how I'm going to like reign in life right? Like, let's talk about reigning in life versus like, let's walk with humility. That's not, that doesn't feel good, but it's what we're called to do. And it's the only way that we're going to have healthy relationships is if we, if I am willing to humble myself. First Peter 5, 5 says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, that's all of us, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If there's one thing I don't want in my life, it's God opposing me. <laughs> that also does not sound like a very good deal. What I want in my life is grace. The favor of God, the eye of God, the hand of God on my life. I need grace. I am way too much of a mess to not need grace. I need grace in my marriage, in my life, in my over my heart, over my relationships, in my parenting, in my family. I need a grace on my life. And I heard it described one time that grace is trying to get through life without grace 
is like if you, when you were a kid, maybe went on a slip and slide and it, when there's no water on it, you just kind of like screech your way down it. And this is life for a lot of us is we're like screeching our way down life, being boo- bruised and beaten and getting all ripped up by relationships. And we're like, what's the problem, God? And he's like, grace accompanies humility. (laughs) If I want grace in my life, I need to humble myself. That's how grace comes. It doesn't come with, with trying to be this or trying to do that. Or it comes with saying, Hey, I could be wrong. (laughs) That just sounds uh, horrible, right? I could be wrong here. But if we do not learn to be people who can be wrong, who can be the bigger person at times, like there's going to be a lack of grace in our relationships and we're going to keep getting beat up by them. Um, the definition of humility, and I love this, is it's a freedom from pride or arrogance. Humility is actually freeing because it frees us of our greatest enemy, and it's me. I'm my own worst enemy, right? My ego is, is what's after me. It's not the devil. It's myself, right? It's my own ego. It's my own pride. It's what I think is right. And so God is trying to say here, hey, take yourself out of the equation here. Take your, let me help you deliver you from you and get freedom. Don't we ever get, I get tired. It's exhausting to always have to be right, to always have to prove myself, to always have to have the last word, to always win the argument, to always get the jab, to always, it's exhausting. And it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus, it says he humbled himself all the way to death. And so if Jesus had to do it to death, I certainly need to learn to do it in my marriage. I don't think that's asking too much, right? I'm getting big amens over here. This is great. Um, A couple really quick ways to just walk in humility in your relationships. Number one, I already mentioned it, be willing to be wrong. I know some people who cannot be wrong. They would rather die than say I was wrong, like really. And we all know these people, right? Because it sounds funny, but there are people that cannot be wrong about anything. One of the most liberating things I've ever had happen to me is when I genuinely started to learn that I could be wrong because I held on so tight to myself, right? And so one of the best things I've ever learned was just how to be wrong sometimes. I remember in an argument one time, we were um, just talking about something and he was saying something and I was like, no, you're right, you're right, I was wrong about that. And he's like, because we all say it, right? We'll say it and he's like, but I, and I'm like, no, I think, no, really, I think I actually might think I'm wrong. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I was probably like 32. I'm like, I think I might, this is like a breakthrough moment. It really was a breakthrough moment because I wasn't giving lip service and in my brain thinking like, oh my goodness, I'm so much better than him, right? Like I genuinely, I was genuinely willing to look and say, hmm, I think he could be right on this one. Um, (laughs) Has that happened? (laughs) Just clarify. It's not, it's not about being right, it's about being close. We have to prioritize closeness over our own egos, our own pride, and our own right to being right. Second thing, just to work it out humility in our lives. If you need grace, this is how to get it. Be willing to make the first move. We always want to be the one to step back and just like wait right? Wait for our spouse to make it right. I did that for like the first seven years, right? Like he was always like, let's talk. How do you feel? What, you know, and then you stonewall. And then you, I mean, there's all kinds of games we play, right? When we're upset or when we feel at odds. Why? Somebody's got to be the bigger person, you know, and really the more mature Christian will be the bigger person, really, because somebody has to try and bridge a gap so that we can walk in what God says, which is 
love. Humility is really the best mediator in our lives. If you're at odds, if you have an issue, we've had people so upset at us before and have walked in so mad, so upset, and when they see that, we can just be like, we're so sorry that that hurt you. We're so sorry that we could not come to that birthday party. Like our kids had a soccer game, but we know that hurt you and we're really sorry. They just, they melt. Because there's nothing, you don't have to be defensive if somebody's coming in humility. Right. So good, so good. I think that one of the top reasons that people, um, that, or that relationships don't work is because of the distorted view of what a working relationship is. And I think humility flies in the face sometimes of, of what we think the relationship should be. And we want to feel empowered and we want to feel right. But relationship, if a relationship is going to work, it is going to take laying down your life. I think a distorted view of love is a key uh, enemy as well to, to making relationships work. We're always taught love so that you can get Right? I mean, we, we have books about this. We, teach, we talk to marriages about this. Like, sex starts in the kitchen. You know, it's like, start, husbands, you know, start early. Start, you know, getting flowers, doing dishes. But I want, I want you to see something. That, that might work, but what is it teaching us about love? That love has to work for something. And the reason that we give love is to get something. It teaches us incorrect because the Bible teaches us that love is unconditional. That love doesn't come with a price tag. That love is for love. Like you ever thought about like doing something in the kitchen just because you love? That's a novel idea, right? It, it just, just because like, oh no, this, this would make him feel love. This would make her feel love. What about, what, what about that? Yeah, but the book said, if I do this, then she'll do this or he'll do this. No, no, no. What about the Bible? Like, what about just love? Like, like, just unconditional love. Love sees the best, it believes the best, and it gives the best. That's what love is. You know, the Bible talks about love quite a bit. It has a lot of clear things about love. Like, like really clear, like, really, like, like, we always say, well, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. It's like, yes, it is. I don't want to read it. I've read it so many times, and they quoted all the weddings. But have you read it? Because it tells us what love is. Ah, it's just, you know, it's just like for the romantics. No, it says love is patient. It says love is kind. Well, I'm not really a kind guy. Well, you don't have love. I mean, real talk, right? Like, love is kind. That's what love is. It says make sure that you're pouring yourself out in love. The next key is says be alert at noticing differences. I think when we're looking at relationships, we are naturally attracted to people like us, right? I'm naturally attracted to people, I want to be around people that think like I do, relate with God like I do, kind of affirm my values. We, we, but a part of that is that we're also drawn to people with our same vices, right? And so it's so easy to just find ourselves just falling into relationships with people just like us. But the problem with that is I'm going to stay just like me right? And I am, I don't have this all figured out. I need to pull some other people's differences and strengths into my life. But we get so bad, like, I'm just going to do me. I'm gonna, if I was doing me right now, I'd be out here in my track suit, right? But some of you would find that, a, he told me no. <laughs> no, really, it's a true story. It's in the closet. <laughs> it is for afterwards. <laughs> right I'll there. be wearing it to the car. <laughs> But if I just wanted to do me, you know, but 
<laughs> but because I'm married to a professional person that knows how to dress older than a 12-year-old, right? Or a 15-year-old. Barely. <laughs> I'm not just one of those people. I don't think that it's just me against the world. I'm just going to do me. Because doing me is going to hurt some people. It's going to offend some people. I'm not going to be able to relate with some people. I'm not going to have a voice in people's life if I'm just always doing me. So what I do is I find friends that are different than me. Because I know I need some of their strengths in my life. It says in 1 Corinthians that bad company corrupts good character. We always tell our teenagers, right? But the good news about that is the opposite is true. So good company helps character, right? Good company will help, good company will help me. And so I met a, I met a, a lady years ago and very different than me. I would say I'm pretty rational thinking. I'm um, a little fear, a little fear, um, fear bent. <laughs> I always think I'm about to die. Um, and, then, and then, and then I'd say like, I have some like intimacy issues at times. Like I have a hard time breaking through some emotional walls and things. Those are kind of three of my weaknesses, but real talk. So I found a girl who is high, the highest faith you could, I mean, she, I don't think she's scared of anything. Highest faith, high intimacy to points of like uncomfort at times, right? Cause she's so comfortable with her emotions and she is, and she just, she's going to believe for me. And so we're in this relationship and our friendship is growing and I all of a sudden realized like, wow, I have more faith than I used to. It's not because I prayed myself into faith, it's because I found somebody who had faith, right? And so we've got to start, they say staff your weaknesses. We need to staff our friendships and look for, don't, find, don't try and find everybody that votes like you and thinks like you and parents like you. Find somebody who does it different because there's strength in diversity. Bill Johnson says that unity only is really happens and is valued when there's diversity. And so we need to stop being afraid of each other and afraid of our difference and start embracing because someone not like you has something you need. And so if we can drop ourselves enough to say, hey, like I'm not a whole package here, <laughs> right? I'm not a whole package. I need someone else in my life. I need her strength and his strength and your strength to become my strength. But that happens as I open up to a relationship with you. That's good. We were, as we were talking about this, we, we found differences shouldn't always deflect. They should also draw. That some of us, we think that difference is the enemy. Right? Specifically in marriage relationships. Yeah. Difference is the enemy. We've got to attack it because they don't think like us. They don't act like us. They, they, they don't respond like us. They don't empty the dishwasher like us. Uh, real story. First year marriage. Um, real talk. They, 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 don't, they don't do the things that we do the way that we do them. And we, we view the difference as an enemy instead of an ally. And I think that if we really looked at it, differences actually could become an ally. I, I remember years ago, we had just moved here. We'd been married about a year, and uh, we were uh, here in, in Texas, just moved, and, and we were having this big party and had tons of people over, a big social event, and uh, we're in there, and, and people don't know this about me because I'm always speaking up here, but I'm more of an introvert. Like, I'd like to sit in the corner of a room by myself, just me and my phone, Maybe say hi to about three people. That'd be good. Jamie, like, if she comes into a room like this, she's going to, like, work her way. It'll take about seven hours, and she's going to work around everywhere. And everyone's going to leave saying, like, oh, yeah, me and Jamie, we're, like, best friends. And they're going to be like, Dustin who? That's, that's how it works in social events. So the, when we first got married, we went to this thing, and, and she's, like, just gone. Like, I don't even know where she is. I'm standing there, like. Okay, you know, like I just figured it out. And later we were talking, I'm like, you know, this is real, real story. It's embarrassing. I'm like, it didn't really seem like you paid too much attention to me. 
at the party. Like, I, I didn't even see you. She's like, yeah, I thought it was like a, a party, like, that we were supposed to, like, socialize at. I'm like, yeah, I just didn't see you. Like, I was over here in my introvert circle, and you were doing your thing. And, and it's so funny to think about that story now. Because as we've grown, we've realized that the difference that I once saw as an enemy is actually an ally. You know, I can go to a wedding and I can sit in the same chair the entire time, right? If you want to come talk to me, I'll talk to you. But I can sit in that same chair. Jamie will not sit down. She won't even eat. She won't even cake, won't have food. She'll be up and she'll go all the way around. Do you know what? That is a strength to me. Because she just connected to all kinds of people and I got to sit there right in my introvert circle and be okay. The things that we kick against, the things that we hate, the things that we can't stand are actually strengths. And if you could allow differences to be your ally, you would stop destroying your partner who you love and who you care about by trying to make them like you. Here is the difficulty with differences. If you're strong at something that I'm weak at, I can't let you be strong at it because it makes me feel insecure. So I have to pick at you or destroy you so that we can be on even playing fields and now we can feel okay about each other. Most criticism finds its root in insecurity. The, the people that are most critical of religion, the people that are most critical of church, the people that are most critical of us are people that are really, really insecure. People that get offended the most are really insecure people. When you become and grow in confidence, all of a sudden you find yourself offended a little less. Differences can build up or they can tear down, and it's all in how you see them. The difference in your relationships can build up or tear down, and it is completely in how you see them. The third little key it says, and this is where we'll close today, is be, it says be quick at mending fences. Be quick at mending fences. You know the Bible says to deal with a matter in the day you hear of it? It, it says also to, to not let the sun go down on your wrath. It's talking about mending things, about making things right. We'll go an entire lifetime and just hope that we don't pass that one person that we had that one problem with that one time. No, the Bible wants us to walk in unity. God wants us to walk together in unity, that we are able to have relationship and walk with our heads held high. And here is the thing with mending fences. Fences do a couple things. They keep things in and they also keep things out. So I think the, the, the weakness of talking about what we're talking about, pour yourselves out in love. Some of you, you are lovers, and you're going to pour yourself out in love, but at the expense of your own self-worth. And you can never say no because you just got to love more, and you got to give more. It, a fence, some offenses are to keep things in, but some fences are to keep things out. And some of us, we've got negative influences that are in our life that take, 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 take. And did you know that you can put a fence up to hold them off or to hold them out? And that doesn't have to be negative. You can still love someone from a distance. Did you know it's okay to tell someone no? Well, I just want to love them. I just have to say yes. No, if that yes is founded in guilt and founded in manipulation, you don't have to say yes. You can say no in love. And you can draw a boundary. You can draw a guidepost, a guideline. You can put up a fence. But this is the problem is that for most of us, if we put up any type of fence, it's only one kind of fence, and it's offense. Yep. Yep. So true. Offense. 
It is me being offended. If I'm going to distance from you, it's not because I'm doing something that's right. I'm doing it because I'm mad. And the Bible says, be quick to mend fences. Be quick to make things right. Listen, we've got to look at our lives and our relationships, and we have to do our best to make things right with one another. We've got to do our best to, to, to mend these fences. This is how we like to say it. Healthy relationships thrive in reciprocity. Which means, reciprocity means that, that, that both sides give. So my greatest relationships are relationships that I give to, but they also give to me. There is reciprocity. It's reciprocal. You know the marriages that work are not the marriages with no issues or no differences. It's the marriages with reciprocity. It's, some people think, oh, it's my differences that did me in. It's not your differences. It's your commitment. It, it, it's one side gives, 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 and one side takes, takes, takes. That will never work. It has to be two sides that say we're both going to give. We're both going to work it out. That's why people, some marriages with all kinds of issues have better marriages than some that have way less issues, but they don't have the same level of buy-in or commitment. It's got to work together. When I was growing up, there was a, a story. We used to do these um, like studies on animals. It was like this Bible study of like how God created animals and their biblical truth to us and all this. Some of them were really funny, but it's interesting. I did, we did this one when I was really young, and I never forgot about it, and it's about the beaver. And it said that the beaver, uh, because it, it actually has fur, and the fur will be weighed down by water. And the beaver who swims underneath the water would drown, except God created the beaver to excrete an oil from its body into the fur. And now the water that once or it should soak in and weigh it down just runs off. And so God created the beaver for water that would weigh any of us or any other animal down and drowned it. But he, he gave this beaver the ability for that stuff just to to run off. You know, in the Bible, oil represents the Holy Spirit. So just think about this thought, is that when we live a life that is spirit-empowered, that is spirit-full, full of the Spirit of God, He gives us the ability for offenses that would and should weigh us down and drown us. He gives us the ability to shed them. To just, the things that used to weigh me down just run off of me. This is the church that God's trying to build. These are the families and the marriages that God's trying to build. Is the things that should drown me. The things that should weigh me down. They just run off me. I'm unoffendable. I refuse to be offended. I refuse to be stuck in relationships because of something that got stuck onto me. I want to shed this stuff so that I can be everything that God's call me to be. Do you know what I found? I found that the more confident I become, the less offended I become. It is, it is wild. When I first started out in ministry, everything offended me. You offended me? It's like, well, I didn't do anything. I know, but you didn't look excited. You didn't look like you liked it. You fell asleep. I'm offended. And I would go home and think about it like, man, four people fell asleep. And I'd know how many. Now, four people fell asleep. I must not be good. And because I was insecure, I was also offendable. But as I grew in confidence in my call, in my gifting, in my sonship, in my relationships, all of a sudden the things that used to offend me now slid off of me. And I could be free. 
And the amount of freedom that comes in relationship when you can't be offended is absolutely unbelievable. It's so freeing to know that I cannot be offended. Don't test me on it. Just like, let's see if pastor is telling the truth. It's like, don't test me on it. Like, I'm still human. Uh, but there is a freedom that comes in being able to know I don't have to bend to every opinion or every whisper of criticism. I know who God's called me to be. And I'm going to be, listen, our heart in this series is for us to really look inward. I, I know many of us are thinking about, man, I wish so-and-so was here. But that's part of this talk. <laughs> is that we wouldn't think about who's not here to hear it, but we would internalize it ourselves. And we say, we, we've got to do better in relation. Can I just say it globally, like for, as the body of Christ? Not just our church, not just you here, but as the body of Christ, we've got to do better relationally. Love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Those things. Well, pastor, but what, what, what about predestination? It's like, you know what? That's a great conversation to have. There's a lot of scriptures that go both ways, and you could probably have a really good talk about it. But the Bible is crystal clear about some things. So should we avoid the crystal clear in light of the, uh, in light of the blurry? Or maybe we should we take the crystal clear? Should we apply it to our lives? Yes. And you know, there's an old song that says, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Well, what about all this? What about all... Listen... Love God and love people. Our relationship, if we show the world that we can have good relationships, I think it would be a greater witness than any theological degree or any theological understanding. If we could just show the world that these things work, I think we could change our city. I think we could change our family. You know, legacy waits on good relationship. Because if you can't have a good relationship with your kids, you are distorting your legacy. Relationship is the currency of great legacy. We have to have good relationships if we want to have good legacy. I'm going to close. and I'm going to have everybody stand up with me if you would. And I'm going to have a campus pastor there at Wiley come to the stage and close them out. And I, I just want us to take a minute and, and, and just think about relationships. I'm going to share one thing with you as we close. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to respond to God. The, the Bible says Jesus died on a cross. We know this. Many people believe that as he, as he died, he healed or repaired our relationship vertically. Right? The cross. But he also died for us horizontally. And many of us love this relationship or we love this relationship, but few people have this and this. But the cross is both vertical and horizontal. And today, that's what God's calling us into, is to say, God, we're right with you, and you want us to be right with people. And I can't be right with people at the expense of you, and I can't be right with you at the expense of people. It has to be both. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.